if you open up your sermon notes today or even just see the slide this morning, you'll notice uh, my subtitle this morning is Blessing and Biblical Election. Uh, I had this picked out months ago. I had no idea that this is what Hazel and Mike, were gonna, Mike Hazel, uh, Nicholson were going to be te- talking about. Purely coincidence, of course. <laughs> or something else. Uh, before we start, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we come together to corporately uh, worship you. Lord, I, I pray today as, um, as we hear the sermon that you would prepare our hearts to hear, um, that I would speak the words you would have me speak, uh, that we would grow uh, together closer to who you are and who you call us to be. In your name, amen. The beginning of the year, the vision statement for the church um, actually included a, a statement about discerning scripture. It's a nice statement that can often feel very complicated. What does it mean to discern scripture? Or even just to say simply, you know, how do you read the Bible and read it well? People say things to you like, let scripture interpret scripture. My preferred one is a similar statement, but uh, scripture is a commentary unto itself. But both those feel opaque in most cases. What does that really mean? How am I supposed to do that? Often when people start telling you things like, let scripture talk, interpret scripture, they start teaching you things like, let's learn the Greek and Hebrew languages. Let's learn something about the cultures of those times. Because as we hear those, we can potentially hear more what scripture is saying. Um, let's hear the actual culture of the ancient Israelites. And as we do those things, we can hear scripture more. Those are great, and I think they're fantastic. And as I have learned those things, they have opened scripture in a way that just continually challenges me. However, that often feels daunting. And so what I want to do today is sort of look at um, a slightly different way of thinking about this. I think often when we think about scripture and we think about reading scripture, what we like is a divine narrator who pops in and offers comments on everything along the sto- as the story is going along. This guy, what he did was a problem. What this guy did was great. These people shouldn't have been doing this thing. That's what we like to hear. So for instance, if you uh, go to Genesis 25, 34, now this is the part where Esau trades his birthright for some food. And in that section, it says, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. So we go, fantastic. All right, we know the conclusion of that story. Um, And if you actually hear some people talk about this, what they'll actually say is, Therefore, see, Esau despised, therefore what Jacob did was good. Pause. Is that what it said? (laughs) So, even when we get the divine commentator hopping in and saying something, we're often going, but he he didn't really answer all of our questions. He answered part of a question. So what are we supposed to do with that? So the big word for today, um, intertextuality. Now, Ashley tells me I have to enunciate this word because if I say it fast, anyway, intertextuality, for those who get that. All right, 
Now that word in itself, oh man, now David's talking about big words, it's no fun. Um, Intertextuality, what that really fundamentally means is where have we heard these words, phrases, or this story before? Now, we actually do this all the time. If, for instance, I were to tell you a movie, a man walks into a bar wearing cowboy boots, a revolver, and a badge. What type of story am I talking about? There you go. All right, next one. A little bit more challenging, or maybe not. A career woman who is too busy for love, but she has to move to a small town where a handsome local bachelor teaches her about the true spirit of the holiday. Thank you. Okay, all right. It's a Hallmark movie, right? Every Hallmark movie we've ever seen. Okay, so we actually do this oh, I recognize these words, these phrases, this theme, this story. I recognize that thing. So we actually do this all the time. What we're, we're talking about here is, is to use that idea as we read scripture. So before we get into that, if I were to tell you, one, all of scripture is God-breathed and therefore important. But if I were to say there are certain stories that are fundamental to the story of scripture— what stories would you say they are? Okay, Adam and Eve, parables? Joseph, okay. Jesus' death and resurrection? <laughs> All of those are great, yes, yes, absolutely. So I, I, would, I would give you a different, I, w- I would include those, and then I would say some other ones. And you're used to me now at this point. I say strange things. Stick with me. Okay, first one. A father gets a bride for his son. That's what I would say is one of the fundamental stories. So, yes, thank you. Okay, you're you're already starting to pick up on, so, okay, if I were to say very first story genesis, or, you know, very second page of the book, what what does God do? He has a son. He gets a bride for his son. Scripture closes in Revelation with a bride for his son. Okay, so this story of a father gets a bride for his son, I would put forward, is one of those stories that is fundamental to the story of Scripture. Number two, and the one we're focusing on today, two siblings, one stays and one goes away. Okay, Jacob and Esau. Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay, interesting. All right. So, you guys have started this list already. If, if I were to say Jacob and Esau, yeah, absolutely. Do you, other ones um, that you might put in that list, if I were to say, keep going. So you're going to make that two, sto- two siblings. Okay, interesting. All right. Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron, okay, yeah. Cain and Abel. Isaac and Ishmael, yes, okay. So I'm going to give you a list here. Cain and Abel, uh, Abraham and Nahor. One stays, one goes away. Ishmael and Isaac, Rebecca and Laban, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Judah. Tweak that one that you threw out just a little bit, tweak it a little bit. Joseph and Judah, uh, Aaron and Moses, Abimelech. And when we say Abimelech, we're specifically talking about the, the guy whose name Abimelech is the son of Gideon, not all the other Abimelechs we've met. And Jotham, Judges 9. 
David and Jonathan. Yes, I know genetically they're not brothers. Absalom and Amnon. Okay, so I'm going to put those forward. Those are not exhaustive, but you can see it's a, it's a pretty heavy list. So what I want to do is just start with that first one on the list. If you really think about that story, here, two brothers both come. They offer some sacrifice. As that sacrifice is given, God seems to favor one over the other. We're not given a lot of details of why. Potentially, we could spend time thinking about why or that type of thing, but what we just want to focus on here is is that there is favor seems to be shown to one over the other. Abel's solution to that problem, Cain's solution to that problem, get rid of his brother. Then he can't be favored. But I think as we think about that story, it raises to me, a lot of questions. And I think scripture wants us to think about these things. If you think about scripture as sort of the idea of walking into a room, you come into that room and the light is just, it's a dimmer switch and it's barely lit. And as we go through scripture, the light slowly comes up. We get greater and greater revelation of God's character and who he is. But we don't get that all right up front. So as we're doing, reading these stories, we're supposed to be forced to ask these questions. Does God have a favorite? If so, does favoritism exclude others from inclusion? Is that what happened in the Cain and Abel story? I mean, is that, is that what we should be taking away? God has a favorite, and that's a problem, and so therefore we can get rid of the best solution. If God has a favorite, if we want to be the favorite, take out the one who is. Does blessing of one individual by God prevent others from receiving blessing also from God? Number three, does blessing from God mean that the person is better in some way, maybe moral, intellectual? Is that the reason? So, here we are. This is what I want to put forward is the things that I think are the challenge for this story. And right up front, we're, asked, we're being forced to struggle with what is the character of this God that we've just been told about. Now, for us, we're standing at the end of the story. We're very familiar with the story. Sometimes it's hard to sort of hear those back, you know, at the beginning. But if we're just coming into it from the first time, we've now been told there's a God, he makes creation, he sets up a garden, and all of a sudden he seems to be showing favoritism. What are we supposed to do with that? I'm going to skip over some stories here, and we're going to go to the story of Jacob and Esau. In Genesis 25, 23, and the Lord said to her, and when we're talking her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. You read just that story, again, you're like, man, this sounds familiar. It can't enable... Abel's the younger, showed favor again. Now here we got Jacob and Esau. Jacob's being shown favor. What type of character is this God? Now, we get to this point. Jacob is already, as we've looked at the verses a couple minutes ago, deceived his brother, tricked his brother into trading his birthright for some food. 
not the first people who traded food for things in the story. And here he is again. Jacob's going, okay, all right. So his mother calls him and says, hey, we're going to do something here. Your brother's gone out. He's going to get this blessing. We're going to see whether we can't get it instead. Let's take two goats, make some food. So they take some goats to make some food. As they do, Jacob's not feeling real confident about it. All right, you know what? Solution. We'll put some of your brother's clothes on you. Still not feeling confident. Okay, we'll put some goat hair on you also. Okay, so now he is dressed up in coats and goats. Yes, I'm using alliteration here. The word's not coat, but for, for fun, we'll say that it is. Jacob deceives Isaac then with two goats and a coat. Stop there. <laughs> All right. What are we supposed to be doing with this story? The, there's no divine commentator who hops in and tells us, ah, guys, like, this is a problem. We're just left with the story. What are we supposed to do with this? How do we respond to this? Hmm. So Jacob is sent into exile. When he goes into exile, he's now working for a guy. They agree on wages. But when it comes down to it, when he's supposed to get paid, now he can't see well and he gets tricked. And when the, foot, the shoe is on the other foot, Jacob's pretty upset. You've got to be kidding me. You tricked me? <laughs> yeah. So Jacob, Jacob now sees, if he didn't before, what it's like to be on the receiving end of the very thing he just did. Which brings us then to... he. He goes back, and on the way back, he meets Esau, and he gives him a lot of stuff. And now that he's given him a lot of stuff, they seem to be better. Is the Bible telling us, therefore, when we get in tight situations, if you just have enough money to throw at the problem, solved? What we're going to do now is exactly what we've talked about. Do we hear these phrases, themes, that type of thing, and how do we hear that so we can hear the story better? Now, if we go back to Jacob's deception, Jacob comes into this room. The fundamental question that Isaac has for him, who are you? You seem to not be Esau. You seem to be someone else. Are you? Are you Jacob? Are you Esau? Jacob comes near to Isaac, and Jacob kisses Isaac. Now, Isaac's blessing, we're going to pull out some specific themes from those blessings. Isaac's blessings, may you have wealth, nations will serve and bow down to you, and you will lord over your brothers. At the end of this story, Esau cries bitterly because of what's been done and the damage that that brings to the relationship. Now, Jacob is coming back. It seems like he's just throwing money at the problem. But if we really stop and really listen to the story, 
right before, right before he meets Esau, there's a couple things that happens. One, he sends all this wealth, and he tells the servants, send the, this, all these things to Esau, and as you come to him, let him know. These belong to your servant, Jacob. They are present for my Lord, Esau. Do you hear that echo to who's lording over who? The next story, there's a pause in the story. Jacob is now in the dark and someone's wrestling with him. And the question is, what is your name? Are you still posing? Or are you finally gonna take up responsibility for who you are? And when he takes responsibility, he's given a new name because he finally takes responsibility for who he is. I am Jacob. Now, Jacob approaches Esau. Jacob bows down to him seven times until he comes near to him. Again, hear that echo from Jacob approaching Isaac. Esau kisses Jacob. Esau and Jacob now reunited, weep together. The relationship is being set right. And Jacob says, please accept my blessing. I was set on stealing blessings. What I needed was my blessings. But finally, through time, he can hear what really needs to happen in the story. Notice the divine commentator never came in and told us that. What we're doing is being attentive to the story and hearing how Jacob, he never explicitly says, I'm sorry. But he comes in and he is undoing the very things that caused the break in the relationship. Now, if we were to pause and then again just compare the story to the Cain and Abel story, one seems to be favored over the other. God's made a statement. Jacob seems to maybe be favored by God. But Isaac seems to favor Esau. So there's this tension in the favor. The unfavored, in this case, Jacob, in the previous one, Cain, does something that damages the relationship. If you remember back to the Cain and Abel story, once Abel is killed, there's a statement, and your brother's blood is crying out. In the same way, Esau is crying out in the story, and because of it, of what happens in the story, one goes into exile. Cain and Jacob. So we get to start to hear these repetitions, these little, makes us think maybe we should be hearing these stories in light of each other. Before we go to the next story, if I were to ask you, how many sons does Abraham have? Two, okay. Do I? Okay. That's good. Yeah. Do what? There you go. Okay. Yes. So I was going to say, if we go far enough along, right, then we say like, yes, we are all sons of Abraham. Okay. So we can, we can recognize that. And I think fundamentally that should actually, we should be imposing what we're hearing about these stories of two siblings. That's what you're just, what you're saying is, is where we're going to go. 
But we get to the break. Um, Sarah passes away. We get uh, a concubine, and that concubine has six more children. So now we have eight children. And yet when we talk about Abraham's story, the tension is between Isaac and Ishmael. So you can have multiple kids, but you can still have sibling conflict of just two. I was talking with my sister recently about this, and she goes, realistically, that's the way it always works, isn't it? <laughs> you can have lots of kids, but the tension, you know, the, whatever it is, it's two siblings, and then the other ones sort of like pile up on either side, right? <laughs> so Genesis 25 talks about how Ab- Abraham has six other sons. Now, if we were to hear that, then what I'm going to put forward to you is that the story of Joseph and his brothers is really, in most cases, just the story of Joseph and Judah. His other brothers are in the story, but all of the real action happens when either Joseph or Judah is doing something. Their other brothers contribute very little to the actual story when we pause and really hear it. So let's compare again the Cain and Abel story to the Joseph and Judah story. The younger seems to be favored over the older. One calls out because of the actions of the others. The brothers don't respond. The brothers don't know what happened. They're guilty for the blood that was shed. And one goes into exile for the damage that was done. Now, if we go to Genesis 42... Now, this is the part where the brothers are standing in front of Joseph, and Joseph is being pretty hard on them. And they don't know that Joseph can speak Hebrew. So they're, they're talking amongst themselves. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul, and when he begged us, we did not listen. That is why this distress has become a, come upon us. And Reuben answered, Did not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. So here's another brother crying out and a reckoning for his blood in another story. And wouldn't it be coincidental if we noticed, for instance, that really when it comes down to it, the deception of Jacob by the brothers includes two things. A goat and a coat. Purely coincidental. Of course. So here we are, repeating the story again. Oh, no. Here's the two brothers causing problems. So let's, let's just summarize Joseph's story for a second. Joseph has a position of authority in a household. He faces a crisis brought about by other members of the household. He loses a coat. The coat is used as false evidence to lie to the master of the house, and he's thrown into the hole in the ground. That all happens, and then we get a pause. Genesis 37 happens, Genesis 38, all of a sudden we're talking about Judah. You just got rid of Joseph, and there's a pause in the story to tell about Judah getting married. What? Okay, now, those are the type of details to me that I suggest When we see stuff like that, we should stop and go, wait a second, have I seen this pattern before? Have I seen the story of two brothers, Ah, maybe even ones with goats and coats? Brother gets sent away, there's a pause in the story, and another brother gets married. Sure enough, if you go back to the Jacob and Esau story, Jacob sent away, there's a pause in the story, 
and Esau gets married to another wife. Ha. Huh. Again, purely coincidental. Now, in the Judah story, what's, what's interesting about that story, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read a couple things to you and then we'll talk about it. In that story of Genesis 38... And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. There's a father getting a son, wife for his son. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. And then verse 10. And now Onan, and it says, and that, what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. The divine commentator hops in on this story and makes a couple comments. We hear that. And we think, therefore, everybody in the story knows this has happened. Pause for a second. We've been told a detail. The others haven't been. If we do that, what we, rec- we start to hear is Judah gets a wife for his son. His son dies. His next son now marries her, and she, he also dies. You don't know what's going on. It seems like Tamar is a bad egg. Solution. What does he do? Get rid of her. Send her back to her, father, or her, mother's, or her father's household. Ah, he's doing exactly what he did with Joseph. If only I could get rid of her, problem solved. Next what happens? Tamar tricks him. And while she's tricking him, we might notice some weird things. Judah doesn't have what he needs to pay, so he gives her a ring, a rod, and a coat. And then they send a goat. Purely coincidental. And at the end of this story, She comes to him. Okay, so they're going to put her on trial now because clearly she's done something wrong. She presents this coat and she says, will you please recognize, please identify who this is. If you search, please identify. There's only one other time that that phrase is used. The brothers come to Jacob and say, please identify whose coat is this? Judah is playing out the story that he's already done before. But when he does so, will he bring about the loss of a child to a father the way he did in the last story? Or will he finally correct his ways? You see how people are being forced to face their mistakes The divine commentator doesn't come in and hop in on these things and let us know. But if we're attentive to the story, we realize Judah is now replaying. He, he, solution to Joseph's problem, got rid of him. Solution to Tamar, get rid of her. He's now being faced with the question, can I continue to solve my problems by getting rid of the people who cause me problems? Not that our culture ever does that. (laughs) 
all the time, right? So here we are, Judah's facing this story, and he finally, he takes responsibility for his part in the story. She is more righteous than me. She's, he's finally said it right, okay? He has grown, he has been challenged, but we never get a statement in that story that says God brings about these things, but we gotta hear it. We gotta hear the fact that he is being forced to face the same things. And none of us would have any relation with having to repeat certain events <laughs> in our lives because the first time we didn't hear it right. No. Okay, now we go to the next story. Let's talk about Joseph again. Joseph has a position of authority in a household. He faces a crisis brought on by other members of the household. He loses a coat. The coat is used as false evidence to lie to the master of the house. He's thrown into a hole in the ground. I've heard that story before. Joseph is now getting to replay the same story again. Why would Joseph be forced to replay a story again? Judah's been forced to. He was complicit, you know, he, he caused this. What's Joseph's point in this? Joseph is now being, before, they just stripped his coat of him. In this story, he lets the coat be taken from him and he flees. But it, it's, a, it's an active sense in which he is being, he recognizes what's happening in this story He's no longer just a bystander that just gets caught up. He is there. He recognizes he has two choices, and he chooses to be loyal to his master, no matter the cost, as an alternative. So in, in some way, he is able to redeem the story. Even in both cases, the, t the pain is still there. I'm not saying it's easier, easy for Joseph, but I'm saying, do, do you see how these stories... Some people have described the story as the, uh, the Groundhog Day, have you ever seen that, story, that movie? Uh, the, the man just keeps replaying the same events over and over again until he finally gets it right. And these brothers are being forced to keep playing these events over again until they grow and mature from it. Again, that's not something that's ever happened to us. We don't hear, start to hear rhythms of certain things. That it's like, I've dealt with this before. And now we come to the end of the story. Joseph, now thrown in a pit, is brought up out of a pit. He's given new clothes. He is brought to a man. Instead of being sent away from Jacob, he's now brought to Pharaoh. A man who was not interested in hearing about his dreams. Now Pharaoh is very interested in hearing about Joseph's interpretations of his dreams. So we start to see this inversion where, where what's coming. And then Pharaoh gives him a wife. Has Pharaoh become a substitute father in this story? What's the tension that that's going to create? So we come now, the brothers are there. Joseph doesn't know what's happened to his brothers. He creates a test for them, basically. I'm going to show favor to Benjamin in the same way that I, that I experienced favor. And I'm going to set up Benjamin in such a way 
that it's really easy for the brothers to do exactly what they did to me. Just pitch Benjamin, throw him under the bus, and move on. But Judah doesn't do it. He's got it this time. Joseph doesn't know it, but here is Judah, and he's on the other side of the story, and he finally steps in, and he says, take me. I'll restore the relationship. I will let someone else be favored, even at cost to myself. Wow. And finally, finally, there's reconciliation. Do you hear how these stories of Jacob and Esau, Joseph and Judah, the commentator doesn't come in and hop in on these things and tell us this is what we should be taking away from the story. But as we listen to the stories, we start to hear this rhythm. People have to face what they've done. And as they do, God is working through those situations to bring reconciliation. Now, let's go a little bit farther outside. I would describe this story to you. He is a younger son of the family. He's selected out as the one who will rule over the other siblings in the future. He cares for the flock of the family. He is sent to check on his brothers. There's conflict between the brothers and the individual. Just pause there. Besides Joseph, what other story might we be talking about? David. A ruler calls that individual before them because they may be able to help them with the problem that they have. <laughs> Joseph comes into the story. Now, in this story, David's, pro- you know, what, what Saul needs help with is Goliath. Joseph helps him with the famine problem. David helps Saul with Goliath. The ruler becomes a father to him. Again, we hear this rhythm. A father gets a son for or a, a wife for his son. What does Saul do for David? He gets him a wife, his, his daughter. He becomes a new father figure to him. After gaining great authority, he doesn't return home to his family. Again, Joseph, there, there's nothing in the story that tells us Joseph couldn't have tried to like, reach out to his family. He just doesn't. For questions, okay? And, but in the same way, we get David now, he's gained greater authority. He doesn't return home. He stays here with them. And later in the story, we just happen to see the fact that he faces temptation over a woman who is married to someone else. All of a sudden, the David and Bathsheba story starts to take on a new level of detail. Oh, Joseph, Joseph, he got that one. David, not so much. So we stop there, okay? We're starting to hear these rhythms of these stories. Two siblings, one stays, one goes away. Now, We've got David, and he's like Joseph, right? That's who he is. But if we just pause for a second, he's now become the son, and now there's two brothers, Jonathan and David. And then there's the father, Saul. Now David is adopted by Saul because he gives him his armor, gives him his daughter, his wife. Jonathan, here, I'll just read this part because I think we just, as we hear these rhythms. And as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day 
and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. If you were to search stripped robe, only in scripture, don't do it other places. Um, three times it would pop up. Joseph stripped of a robe. Jonathan strips himself of a robe. And one other time, stripped of a robe. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Pay attention. We're just going to focus on just the two. Okay? The other one, we're, just pretend it's not there. Jonathan now, of the tribe of Benjamin, now the older of the two, takes responsibility for the tribe of Judah. Echoes? He strips off his robe and gives it to his brother. He is taking responsibility and care for him in the same way Judah did. But now it's the inversion of the story. So Judah's, Judah's starting to take responsibility. If we start to hear that, then when Saul becomes angry and David has to flee from his home in fear of his life, and we'll pause for a second and we'll read another section. Right after that, There's a section where David has to flee. When he flees, Michal, his wife, she helps. She takes some goat hair and puts it in a bed and tricks the father. And at that point, we're supposed to be laughing. Oh no, this can't be happening again, can it? But there it is. Scripture has a lot of humor. I think just often we just don't... we, we we're so used to thinking it's not supposed to be funny or it's supposed to be very serious. I, I think the, common, the, the people who are, are actually like bringing this together in, light, in, in guidance with the Spirit are, should, are laughing and going, do you see the, these rhythms? <laughs> Here's another father being deceived with goat's hair. Coincidental. Now, the father's deceived by goat's hair. That same father now has, is in a place where the son has the opportunity to take advantage of his father who isn't seeing well. And we hear that story of Saul going into the cave and everyone saying, take advantage. He's been given into your hands. And David says, no. I've heard the stories. I get it. Just because it seems like it's easy doesn't mean it's right. And so David rises above that occasion So then he meets a man, and he helps to protect his flocks. But he's not compensated fairly by that man for his work. And his name, coincidentally, happens to be Nabal, or Laban spelled backwards. <laughs> and if we hear that, when we hear the fact that David's really upset, and he's headed to kill Nabal, and Abigail, his wife, hears about it. When Abigail saw that David saw David, she hurried and got. Um, I'm sorry. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, "Go on before me; I will come after you." But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, she came under the cover of the mountain. Behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. 
Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to me, and he's returned me evil for good. You start to, you know, if you start to go back to that story of Laban, you start to even hear some of these echoes, right? God do so to the enemies of David and more also. If my, by morning I leave not so much as one male of all who belong to him. When eight, Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before him on her face and bowed to the ground. Well, that starts to sound familiar. So Abigail's now almost taken the spot of Jacob in restoring the situation. She's sent things in front of her. She's bowing down before him. So we start to hear these repetitions. Here's the story again, the story of two siblings. But David, David's now, he's risen above taking advantage of his father, but he's almost about to do the opposite here. And Abigail helps to set him right. And so when Nabal, at the end of the story, dies, David's like, that woman I'm marrying her. She's wise. I need her. So, if we stop there, but we won't. Because we read a story this morning about two two siblings, one stays and one goes away in the New Testament. the prodigal son. If we recognize that Jesus is drawing on scripture, that he's telling us the rhythms of this, then all of a sudden we start to hear the prodigal son in a new way. A son who's set on getting money from his father at the expense of damaging the relationship. That's Jacob. Now a famine happens. And finally, there's a restoration of the family. It's Joseph. And the father gives him a cloak because he's excited to see his son. You start to hear these repetitions, these rhythms. Jesus, as he's telling the story, is, is bringing his audience in to the story of Israel and saying, do you see? Do you see? There's always been the father in these stories. But who's the true father? in the story. Now when we get that revelation, we should stop and we should say, let's go back and look at all these stories. Is there that true father who's been in those stories and in what way? Stop there, okay? I'm gonna ask you guys, if we now look for God the true father in these stories, in what ways do you hear those? Right, but what I mean in specifics, from the standpoint of take one of the stories of the brothers, one stays and one goes away, how do you hear that true father in those stories? Yeah, right? So we see him in the Jacob and Esau story and the Joseph and Judah story trying to bring that relationship restored. Even though, again, we we have to listen, right? Because we don't see specifically that stated. We have to hear it from the standpoint of what they're forced to face as a way to restore things.
If, for instance, you go to the Cain and Abel story, verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 4. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will not you be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Here's the father calling his children and saying, you don't have to feel like there's a choice. Favor is not for one. You don't have to get rid of your brother to fix this. There are other ways. You go to the Isaac and Ishmael story. Abraham is given permission by God to send Ishmael away. And I think, again, it can raise that question. Does that allow for somehow sending an exile to solve the problem? But then if we, if we come with the vision that Jesus shows us in the prodigal son, we now see how in that story, in that Ishmael story, that's not true. And so here's Hagar, and she it says, So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly I have here I have been, him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bel Bir Lahoy Roy. Because Ishmael has been exiled, but the angel of the Lord meets her. The father's there. <laughs> He's caring for them in spite of those things. And then again the same thing when they're exiled the second time. And the angel of God comes to her and shows her a well, takes care of her. And we get to hear that story of there's the true father who's always there to restore the relationship, who's calling all his children to him, not leaving any behind, not showing favoritism in spite of what we want to do, not seeing the solution as if only I could get rid of so-and-so, then I could set things right. Questions, comments before I close? All right. I'm going to read a quote from Yuan Jung Kim, and I probably ruined that, but this quote's good. As Jacob and Joseph embrace their destiny as the elect by serving others and becoming a blessing to others, instead of seeking power and blessing for themselves, the chosen nation, Israel, is to remember that she is elected to mediate God's salvation and blessing to the nations. You hear that for us. Yeah. As Jacob and Joseph embrace their destiny as the elect by serving others and becoming a blessing to others instead of seeking power and blessing for themselves, the chosen nation, Israel, is to remember that she is elected to mediate God's salvation and blessing to the nations. What we're saying is, is that blessing isn't something to be sought for ourselves. That's what we see in these stories. If we set out that the whole goal is for us to be blessed, then we misunderstand what blessing is for. Blessing is to be something that you bring to others. And in so doing, as we hear with Abraham, they will be blessed. The brothers, when they set out 
as if somehow the goal is for them to be blessed, miss the whole point. And only after they start to learn that can they restore that relationship. And in so doing, Joseph's blessing isn't something for him. The whole family is blessed through what he does. And in the same way, if we hear blessing as something that is supposed to be sought and grabbed onto, then we miss the point. Blessing is something that flows out. It is given outwards. And that's what we heard from Mike and Hazel over the last couple of weeks. So, let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you call us your sons and daughters. That you call us to bless others. Not to hang on to it, not to grasp it as something that's for us to just get, but because it brings blessing to others around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that. And Lord, we thank you. Thank you that as we see in the prodigal son, that you are the true father that is constantly calling your children to restoration. In your name, amen.